win championships, you've got to have a championship organization. Brexit. What a pass to Anders. A team Justin Barbosa, and you can find me on Twitter at jbarbosa underscore 95. And be sure to follow the official Clutch City Control Room account at Clutch City CR. And I'm your third and final host, Tamer Knight, and you can find me on Twitter at T Knight Sports. And if you appreciate the podcast, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. And Tamer, Justin, it's been a while since we've been together for this part-time pajama podcast. And really, let's get right into it with the biggest storyline uh, coming out of the University of Houston basketball, which is Caleb Mills, who announced that he was entering the transfer transfer portal and is not going to return to the University of Houston. Obviously, on Sunday, the university announced that he would take a leave of absence from the program due to personal reasons. And on Tuesday, the school announced that he was entering the transfer transfer portal. Just really, what are your guys' opening thoughts on that? I'll go first with this one. I just, honestly, I, I remember two years ago when the University of Houston, you know, was so excited to welcome Caleb Mills to their squad. And I can remember Caleb Mills being on the bench for that, that one season where he wasn't able to play. And he told media that he was just really excited to be in Houston and, you know, to be working with coach Kevin Sampson. So I'm just wondering what all changed so fast, um, considering that, you know, he barely got to play this season and he had a pretty good season last season. Yeah. Uh, Justin, real quick before, before you, I let you jump ahead. Um, yeah. Tamer, like you said, uh, what the university announced was personal reasons for, for his departure. And in the thoughts, I wanted to read a, Caleb Mills, I guess the quote that the university released whenever they announced he was entering the transfer portal. And, and I quote, I'm grateful to coach Samson, my coaches and teammates for the opportunities in Houston. This decision allows me to play closer to home and it's best for me and my family and quote. So it, it looks like it, it, at least in part, it had to do with just him wanting to be closer to the family. And obviously he's from North Carolina. So it's, he certainly has a, a interesting choice of schools that would be close to, to home. Uh, and they asked Quentin Grimes about it after Wednesday's game against Wichita State. And uh, Quentin kept it short. He talked about how uh, it, it was surprising to them just considering how close they are, uh, is what Quentin said. And, you know, he kind of reiterated the same thing that Mills and what the university has released, where it's had more to do with personal reasons of Caleb Mills. And that seems to be the number one reason he, he made this decision. Mills was one of the um, last players to return uh, after the break uh, over the summer due to family issues and COVID-19. So, I mean, this really isn't a shocker that he wants to go back for family issues. I mean, I just hope that one, he goes back or he goes to a university that really is truly closer to home and two, that he go to a program that's, you know, best suiting for him. And I got two opinions about it. I think, uh, 
one, you know, it could be playing time. He was coming off a couple ankle injuries and, of course, coming back from COVID. So playing time probably could have been a factor, you know, Coming into the year as the preseason player of the year for the American Conference, he was probably expecting to be in the starting lineup. But he pretty much had the same role as last year, being the scorer off, first off the bench. So that could have been a factor. And I think Kelvin Sampson was trying to, you know, get him back in shape, game shape to get into the starting lineup. But I think that could have been a factor. And like y'all said about with the personal reasons, and, you know, I hope this is not the case. And, Tamer, you mentioned COVID and all that, you know. I just hope, you know, nobody in his family is ill or anything. You know, I just hope he's, you know, you know, going back just for, you know, homesickness and, you know, just hope everything's going to be okay with Caleb. It's certainly an interesting, uh, the way it ended up taking form. Um, he certainly had to battle through a lot of stuff just since November when the season started. Uh, he's only, he, he really, he played and he made four appearances for the Cougars in this season, but really he only played for about three and a half. Of, of total games for for Houston, obviously you mentioned he had to do he had to deal with a uh, COVID issues with his family over the summer, so he was one of the last uh, players to come and report for the university. But even during the season, he he suffered through two different ankle injuries on both ankles, which kept him sidelined. And then on top of that, it, it sounds like he he himself had to deal with COVID issues during that break in December. For the university took like 15 days in between games that they had to uh, pause. So it's certainly been a, a tough stretch just since November. And like I said, it, it probably could have been homesickness. And it's interesting when you talk about the schools that would be, you know, that come into mind now that he, he wants to be closer to North Carolina. It could be Wake Forest, Clemson, even North Carolina. Those, to me, those end up being the top three schools that you think of and might be interested in Caleb Mills who didn't get as much interest from those schools, if any at all, when he first came to the University of Houston. I think now that, you know, the University of Houston is kind of getting um, national uh, recognition, I think that maybe he has a good opportunity to go somewhere good, but not good, but, you know, like someone, a school where um, that is already has a team full of talent, or he could go to a team where, you know, he is just, he becomes the star player. Uh, I just really, really wish um, him the best. And I hope that, you know, he made the decision, uh, the right decision for him and, you know, what's best for him as a basketball player. Could you guys see him um, maybe entering um, the portal for the NBA draft anytime soon? I would be surprised if he did that. I do not think he would do that just because of – in total, he only played 35 games for, for the Cougars and only started seven of them. And uh, he is a scorer. That's his strength, and he's been the – he was a go-to guy for the Cougars, even though he came off the bench most of the time. Uh, even in his final game uh, with Houston against Tulsa, he and the Cougars went to him down the stretch, and he hit that – was a go-ahead shot at the at the moment with six seconds left before Brandon Ochoa came on the other end and hit two free throws with less than a second left. But um, I think he still has much more to prove. And to, his biggest asset is that he's a scorer. That's his main thing right now. But I think he has to get better at, at the other stuff, um, particularly when it comes to assists. Uh, he only had one assist this season for the Cougars, and I think he has to be much more of a well-rounded individual before he can declare for the NBA draft. No, I certainly agree. I don't. I don't see him entering the the NBA draft anytime soon. But you know, that's kind of um, 
becoming the norm for the University of Houston, uh, players leaving to enter into the NBA draft. But, you know, certainly, like I said, again, I wish him all the best. And honestly, that's kind of become the norm for, you know, the University of Houston bas- men's basketball players, I'll add. You know, we've seen a couple of them enter their name into the NBA draft. So I just thought, you know, I'll ask and, Honestly, you're the only one here that's been able to go inside the Fertitta Center and witness some Cougar basketball. Can you tell me and, you know, the other fans that are listening, what have you observed inside of the Fertitta Center this season? Yeah, that's a great question, Tamer. And, you know, when it comes to, to socially distant uh, attendance for the Fertitta Center, and I'll talk about the men's side first. Uh, just yesterday on Wednesday when they played Wichita State, uh, it they have probably about less than 2,000 people right now at the games, but uh, at times that doesn't – if you if you weren't looking at the crowd, sometimes with the amount of noise it makes, you probably wouldn't be able to tell as much of a difference. Cause they, for 2,000 or less than 2,000 people, they get loud at times, especially uh, against Wichita State when the Cougars were down by 10 in the early minutes in the second half. And Justin Gorham hit a three. They get a stop. They come down the other end. Gorham hits a long two. They get another stop. And then Quentin Grimes came and hit the three. They cut it to one or to two uh, at the point. And the Fertitta Center just erupted. And, I mean, last season covering the game, it was louder, obviously, of course, um, just because it'll be full capacity. But they for for the amount of people that are led in, they certainly make a lot of noise. And they are a factor when it when it comes to games yesterday. Just You kind of felt that momentum kind of keep building when as the Cougars, after that, they – ended up going on a 16-0 run and you kind of just taking a little to the extreme but you could kind of make the comparison um i'm sure you guys watched the series whenever the rockets would play the warriors and you know you would have a small lead really any team in oracle and just the worst i'm hitting shots and the crowd gets louder and louder and louder it kind of has that effect on a much smaller degree but it's certainly the fans are making a difference even if it, it is even if it isn't as big as it was last season I'm looking here at the UH Athletics website just to see if um, you can find Caleb Biz on the website. And they indeed have taken him off of their roster on UH Athletics website. So I think the transfer is definitely set in stone. But um, I digress. Just wanted to add that in. Um, I think the last time we talked about what's going on inside the Petita Center, it was after the very first home game that was non-conference. Um I mean, the Cougars are sitting at the top of the American Athletic Conference. So I think, you know, the fans are definitely playing a role. But what have you seen as far as, you know, how they're playing? How they're playing, uh, it's a little bit interesting when you talk about before their pause, their, their COVID pause um, in December and then after. Before we, t- we talk about their biggest win against Texas Tech, it looks like they were as good as advertised and probably a little bit better. Um, but just they looked like a team that's focused, like they knew their identity. Um, obviously, when it comes to the Cougars, their identity is going to be rebounding and defense. And that's what they did against Texas Tech. I mean, that was the 14th ranked team at the time in the AP poll, and they they beat them convincingly. They led by double digits for most of the game. I know the Texas Tech made a rally at the end, but just – once they went to that pause, they they had to go through a stretch where they played four games in, in about nine days, and that really took their toll. But even then, against Tulsa, the, the only game they've lost so far, um, 
you know, they didn't play good. And I think what's really been a struggle for them since coming back from that pause has been just getting their offense going on a consistent basis. You know, when it comes to their defense and to for the rebounding, they they always seem to do that just because that's just their identity. That's what's drilled into them every day. So they know how to attack. And even if they're not, if their shots are not falling, they're always going to um, lean back to that identity. And that that kind of happened on Wednesday when they played Wichita State. Uh, the first half, they only scored 25 points. And then coming off the second half, they struggled. You know, about the first two minutes, it was about the same thing. And Justin Gorham, Justin Gorham especially, has been kind of that key identity player, especially since they came back from the layoffs just the past two games. He's had a double-double in each. He's averaging 37 and a half minutes for the Cougars in the past two games. And he's had a double-double in each. So he's kind of been like that key identity player where, you know, he's obviously not he's not going to be – the Cougars aren't going to go to him for his offense, but he's going to crack – he's going to – not crack, he's going to garner those rebounds and just keep the Cougars in the game. And he was, a, he was a big factor in that, turning around that win against Wichita State. Just he's the one that actually hit the, the offensive shots that got, through, that got the rally going. But his rebounding is really what the Cougars rely on. Yeah, Justin Gorham, he really made a big three to really cut into the lead of Wichita State. I actually was listening to the game on the radio on the way home from a basketball stream when I was working for Vibe. Uh, it was a pretty interesting comment from Elvin Hayes talking about Tremont Mark. He noticed Tremont Mark got kind of hot in the first few games of the season. And once after COVID hit, he's been kind of struggling. And he mentioned that he thinks uh, Tremont's still trying to work to get back in shape after getting the virus. Yes, and that's another thing. Great point that you bring up, Justin. Uh, a couple of players, really, their depth has kind of uh, taken a step back after the break. And we, we talked about when they beat uh, Texas Tech how much of a deep roster they had with Tremont Mark, Caleb Mill um, coming off the bench, and J1 Roberts showed promise too. And since the coming back from the COVID uh, layoff, Tremont Mark has not been himself. Uh, he hasn't been able to score as efficiently as he did before the break. And Tom Sampson's gone on record about how really the out of all the players that, that got the virus during the during December, Tremont it's hit Tremont Mark the most. Just the way it's taking a toll on his body, and he talked about how Tremont really seemed to to have like the physical effects of the virus, and then just coming back, they're slowly trying to work him in. And he's talked about how it's kind of been a key, his main priority this season. It's kind of weird when you say this, but kind of coaching has kind of been become secondary for Kelvin Sampson this season, and I'm sure for all the coaches in in college basketball in general, just because he's had to talk with his head athletic trainer every day just to get a sense of where the players are physically and we talked about what happened with the uh, Florida player that passed out uh, I think it, it's been a few weeks now um, but that had to do with myocarditis issues that you know there has a connection to COVID-19 so they're trying not trying to rush anyone back and Trey Mark, Mark's been one of those players that you've been able to see the most that has taken a step back due to COVID-19. After this short break, we'll have more on the University of Houston men's basketball team, but also my favorite part, we'll dive into how our women's Cougars have been doing on the court as well. We're back with the Pod Slabber Jamma podcast presented by Clutch City Control Room in the second 
next segment, we will begin with starting with the University of Houston men's hoops. So, Justin, Andy, is there anything that you guys want to talk about in particular? Um, yeah, we can start with Wednesday's game against Wichita State. Um, like we talked about, the Cougars kind of struggled offensively to get anything going. Like I said, they had 25 points heading into halftime. And really, uh, the, what was the story in the second half was that 16 don't run because after the Cougars kind of – they kind of took momentum with that and they never looked back. Quentin Grimes was a big part of the, the offensive turnaround for the team. He had 20 of his 22 points in that second half. And Dejan Giroux, too, he had a double-double. Two players had a double-double in that game. I talked about Gorham. Dejan was the other one. And Marcus Sasser finished with double-digit points, too. So, I think – what last game or yeah, what last game shows the Cougars is kind of like that offensive spurt they have, um, which it's it's a kind of a mystery sometimes uh, how it, it seems like they can't hit the side of the of the backboard sometimes whenever they just just um, the ball doesn't go through the hoop. Um, but I think what they relied on the most in that first half was their rebounding, and that's what kept them close in the game and kept them within striking distance. Even though they only scored 25, they're only down six things to the break. And they, once they caught fire and started hitting their shots, it was basically game over. Well, you mentioned rebounds. I was just going to say, um, Justin Gorham and uh, our guy, Dejan Jarrell, they both had 10 rebounds in that game. So that's 20 rebounds between those guys alone. Um, like they say, defense wins games. And also we'll have to add that, you know, this is uh, Houston's fifth consecutive wins against the Shockers. Um, and also uh, kind of a quiet, good game for Marcus Sasser. I know it doesn't show on the stat sheet. He went 3 of 12 from the field and 1 of 7 for 3. But he really started – facilitating inside, driving to the basket and getting the foul calls and was really good at the free throw line, went five to six, and which is what really helped the Cougars in that run at the end to win the game. Yeah, you talk about Marcus Sasser. He was coming off a good game against SMU. He had 17 points and hit three three-pointers in that game, which was kind of a homecoming game for him uh, coming from that Red Oak Dallas area. And he always seems to have good games and in the Dallas area and against again Justin Gorham had another double double against the Mustangs this game was on Sunday evening he had a career high 19 rebounds he finished with 11 points so after the bounce really they bounced back well after their first loss against Tulsa which was literally a one point loss against the Golden Hurricane that the Cougars didn't play that well either and like I said their biggest problem has been being consistent on offense and yeah, one of the broadcasters on the, I believe it was the, I can't remember if it was the SMU game or the Tulsa game. They talked about how Cougars kind of have to get that consistently consistency on that side of the ball if they want to be considered one of the top ten, one of the top five teams in the nation. Uh, at the time when they lost to Tulsa, they were the fifth round team in the country, and they fell fell down to eleven eleventh on Monday's AP poll despite beating SMU. So. I think a couple of the voters are kind of a little bit uh, hesitant on the Cougars just because of their offensive struggle. I actually have two comments um, to add. You know, in the very beginning when we started this podcast, we kind of digested uh, Dejon Giroux and Caleb Mills and, you know, how we thought those guys would do um, returning. But we kind of overlooked Justin Gorham. Last year he didn't really – or last season, I should say, he didn't really make um, too much noise. But he, he he's been – doing some really big numbers. Uh, he just had his second double-double in his uh, third year. And uh, this is his 
fourth double-digit rebounding performance in his last six games. Like I mentioned earlier, he had 10 rebounds um, against Wichita State. What do you guys notice that he brings to Houston's defense? He brings yeah. up a lot of intensity and uh, crashes the boards, and we see him make a lot of big plays on defense, just fighting for a rebound and getting blocks. And he's really filled in that spot well for Fabian White, who's out for the season. And he's just been excellent. I mean, 29 rebounds in two games. I mean, that is just, you know, fantastic. And he's really been probably the brightest spot on this Cougar team since the start of the season. It's an interesting point uh, or interesting question, Cameron. After the game against Wichita State, uh, Kelvin Sampson was asked um, if he would – described Justin as kind of the heart and soul of the team. I don't know, last season he called Nate Hinton that he was the heart and soul of that team. This year, Kelvin said that that player is Justin Gorham and just because of the way he plays. You know, he's not the most athletic player. He's not going to wow you with, you know, ESPN highlight plays. But the role that he plays for this Cougars team is really important and he's been the engine, particularly since they've come back the past six games for the Cougars. He's been He's just been a rebounding machine. He's rebounded. He's finished in double-digit rebounds four out of the last six games. Uh, three of those games, he had a double-double. And just like Calvin said, he's been the identity player for the Cougars. If it wasn't for Justin Gorham, it, I think Jim, it's interesting to see if they pull out those games again with Wichita State and against uh, the Knights just because of how much impact he does. It's not going to be something that you know stands out, you know, eye-popping numbers or anything like that. But he, his role is really important for this team. How uh, how accurate were we um, in the beginning of the podcast when, you know, we kind of, oh, we think uh, Nate Hinton is going to do this. Well, we now know that Nate is in Dallas with the Dallas Mavericks playing in the NBA. Um, Caleb Mills, he, we also had really high hopes uh, for him. I know we were kind of hard on Dejon Jerome, but considering that he had a really rocky season last, uh, last season. So how accurate do you guys think we'll say we were with our, um, <laughs> I would say assumptions because – I mean, we obviously don't know, you know, every how these players are, are going to play every game. But I think Dejon Jarreau, is he living up to our expectations? I think Dejon's had a good turnaround. And Kelvin Sam talked about how he's not only on the court, has he had a bigger, a bigger role, but just as that leader, um, from a leadership standpoint, he's grown so much. Uh, it was a few days ago when Kelvin talked about how Dejon has kind of learned to make the simple plays better. Um, he come in and it's like, it's almost a direct quote, not exactly his words, but he said that sometimes he tries to be Patrick Mahomes when they need him to be Tom Brady and just make those simple passes and not try to do too much. And I think that's something, especially the last couple of games, he's done a good job of doing against, you know, against the Shockers. He had a double-double against SMU. He almost had one. He had like 15 points and eight, eight rebounds. Um, so he's done a, He's kind of that stat, stat sheet stuffer where he does a little bit of everything and he's yeah, he's good or yeah, he's good at multiple things. He's not necessarily great at one thing. He's not known to be a scorer or anything, but he does a little bit of everything well. And yeah, he's really up this game this season. A little bit better this year in field goal percentage at 37.9. Last year he had 37.4, but he's really up this three-point percentage this year around 29.2. Still not that good, but a lot better than last year at 17.5%. And then really, I think the biggest thing he's improved on this season is uh, 
getting steals and he's also getting more rebounds, averaging about 6.2 a game. And it really just better, more clean classes, uh, clean passes I've seen from him and uh, just better, you know, playmaking. I'm talking about preseason predictions. One of the players that has had a great season for the Cougars, but kind of fell off in the preseason predictions, at least in the American Athletic Conference predictions, was Quentin Grimes, surprisingly. Um, he wasn't on either all-conference team for, for the American Athletic Conference. And obviously, Caleb Mills was projected to be the all-conference player of the year. So it just goes to show how those preseason predictions go. But Quentin Grimes has been on a different level, really, this season. And not just the scoring, but his rebounding, too. At one point, he was the, the team's leading rebounder. And so Justin Gorham went on a tear. So he's certainly been on a... You won't admit it that he's kind of had a chip on his shoulder, but you could kind of – it's night and day difference between how he plays this season and from last season just in terms of his familiarity with the program and kind of his comfort level. Um, speaking of our preseason predictions, uh, we talked a lot about um, the women's basketball team prior to their season as well. And, you know, I was, like, really hyped because they've got pretty much a brand-new team. Um, you know, they had, they had four red shirts. They had, like, four freshmen that were coming in. And, man, they have set some records already, and it's only the, what, fourth game into the season? Uh, the Cougars have certainly had an interesting uh, start to their season. They're double, double that tamer. They're eight games into their season. They're only four games into their conference schedule. Yeah, that's what I mean. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I'm talking conference play, but yes, they're four games into conference, and this is the best record they've had since, what, 2008, I think I read? Uh, the past 10 years, since two, the 2010-11 season, they got off to a 5-1 start, uh, and they were 2-0 and in conference play at beating Memphis and Wichita State. But uh, really, they've kind of ran into a tough patch the past two games against two of the conference uh, high-end teams against U Central Florida. I was mixed up whenever I tried to say UCF. But, um, and their last game against Tulane, uh, they've lost both of those games. Against Central Florida, they lost by nine, and against – Tulane, which is also on Wednesday, they lost by 14. And really the pattern that I've seen from both of those games is that really has been the – their biggest issue has been their turnovers in the past. In both of those games, they had 20-plus turnovers against the, the Knights. They had 28 turnovers. And they, on Wednesday against Greenway, they had 21, which is something they have to clean up. Uh, but really the other thing that they struggled with is maintaining – a consistent level of play for all four quarters against Central Florida. They were right with the Knights heading into the fourth quarter, and that fourth quarter they kind of just ran out of gas, and they got outscored by eight points and lost the game 55-46. to 46. And against Tulane, it was the third quarter where they got outscored by 13 and ended up falling by as many as 19 points until they made a rally in the in the fourth. They cut it to within nine, but, you know, when you dig a 19-point when you dig a 19-point hole, it's kind of hard to dig yourself out of it and stay competitive. What they have showed, from what I've seen, is they have the talent to compete with those teams. They just have to put it together and be more consistent. There's some things that they're going to have to fix as they go along, and it's certainly not going to get any easier. Their next opponent uh, is going to be the South Florida Bulls, which is the 18th-ranked team in the country on Saturday. And, I mean, I think Erica Sidney, she's been a two-time um, American Athletic 
um, conference, uh, what is it, the honor roll or player of the week, uh, back-to-back. So what have you seen from her, and how has she helped out uh, defensively? I see here that Julia Blackshear Fair actually just um, contributed and earned 193 uh, rebounds, uh, offensive rebounds, um, you know, after their last game. So, I mean, I'm just – honestly, I have have no words. Um, They told me on Zoom – on our podcast for them that, you know, this was their, their season for redemption. I I mean, I would say they're redeeming themselves. What about you guys? I think it's been a big progression. I mean, especially how the last two seasons have gone, you know, starting the season five and three, it's a big win for this women's team. And we've seen them improve on both sides of the ball, even though they struggled the last two games against Tulane and uh, UCF, those two losses. But definitely some improvements uh, for Coach Huey's team. And uh, and in the preseason, we predicted uh, – most of us predicted the Cougars to finish around four so far in fifth. So, they're looking to uh, – looking around expectations so far, but still big improvement going into this season, you know, how last two seasons have gone. I mean, saying that, that they're five and three overall, it's, it sounds good. But, you know, what really matters uh, most importantly is that conference work record. And, you know, they're two and two right now. and They're kind of in the midway section of their conference. Um, I think what we've always seen, um, UCF has always seemed to be a problem for Houston. This isn't the first year where we've kind of seen them struggle against that team. Uh, what do you think, Andy? Oh, for sure. Central Florida and their next opponent, South Florida, are two of the top teams in the conference, especially now that UConn is no longer in the American Athletic Conference. I wanted to go back to, you talked about Erica Sidney, and really before their loss to Tulane and Central Florida, she had put in together a couple of great games. Uh, she finished as the team's leading scorer with 18 points against, against Memphis and 17 against the Shockers. Uh, and really what I've seen from her in particular has been kind of a, a command of the offense. And, you know, she was kind of their go-to scorer a bit. And we talked about how for, in the men's side, it was Caleb. They relied on Caleb Mills for that. For the women's side, it's kind of been Erica Sidney. And it's it's more interesting where she has commanded of the offense. And, and But she can also score. And she went on the stretch. You mentioned how she won um, the conference honor roll. She made the honor roll twice. And then in the last week in particular, she had hit against Wichita State. She hit five three-pointers. She was five for five on three. And then she finished eight for 10 from the week. So she kind of – she's one of those players where she's has multiple weapons. She can beat you from three-point line, but she's also a good facilitator. And she does a good job of controlling the offense when the opposing team does not press. It's another – kind of tendency that I've noticed whenever teams start to pressure the Cougars, they kind of struggle a bit and it kind of throws them off their rhythm. That's something they have to improve on, especially um, when they're trying to compete for the top of conference. Uh, in the game against um, Tulane, we also saw uh, that Maya Crump was also a big help uh, in her. She came in the fourth quarter and she made her last, you know, eight of her nine points and she kind of helped with a few charges. Um, I think everything is just kind of working together uh, for their good. Um, again, you know, I'm excited to see that they're five and three overall, but considering that UConn is no longer in the conference, I would definitely like to see them kind of move up 
uh, towards the the top of the the conference, but it's certainly still too very early um, to even begin to speak on, you know, where we think they'll finish or where we think they should be, um, and as far as rankings. Right, and I think they have all the potential in the world to be one of those top four, top three teams, possibly with Central Florida and South Florida with their next game. is going to be the biggest challenge. I'm really interested to see how they compete with South Florida against the past two games. They've been competitive heading into halftime, and they just seem to run out of gas. One of the quarters, they just struggled to score offensively. And like I mentioned, their turnovers has been the biggest issue. But what happens is when teams put their – the Cougars are known for – pressing themselves when the other teams do it to them they kind of struggle and it throws them off their rhythm offensively and it took them a while Tulane went to a 2-3 zone towards the fourth quarter when Cougars finally got some offense going and I think with really what Houston showed well in that Tulane loss in the fourth quarter in particular was kind of their aggressiveness on defense particularly when they went on when they started pressing the Tulane on their own and they, they forced a lot of turnovers that fourth quarter and they kind of looked they had a couple of players. I know Diamond Lenny was one. She kind of looked like J.J. Watt a little bit. She was jumping on, on the passes and kind of tipping them, and that led to steals, and they were getting layups off of that, and that kind of sparked that rally in the fourth quarter, which wasn't enough, but they showed that they had that potential to be you know, a competitive team at the very least. And you talked about how this season is the redemption year for them after struggling um, last season. They've already had good accomplishments, but they're just barely starting to get into that conference game um, they're only a, a one-fifth of the way done with the conference schedule so they still got a lot of basketball left to play and like I said I'm interested to see how they do it now is the best team in the conference in South Florida I mean looking ahead they have uh, South Florida like you like you've mentioned and what's is this new or maybe I'm just late um is it that UCF is I mean US USF excuse me they're ranked yeah, they have been ranked for the last past couple of weeks. They're one of the top teams in the conference. And uh, this is going to be a, re- a rescheduled game. They were actually supposed to play the Knights on the 19th of December. Yes. Uh, we, talked about, we talked about how um, the men's side had to deal with their COVID issues in December. The women's side had a stretch where they had to postpone a couple of games too. And, yeah, the Bulls are ranked, and they they are on the tear. They have only lost one game this season, and that came early on in the season to number four ranked Baylor. They went, and they've beaten sixth ranked Mississippi, and really they've torn through the American Athletic Conference so far, and they've had a couple of games uh, canceled so far, but they are five and zero in conference, and they have multiple scores that. We're not talking about barely getting into double digits. Like, they finished the games in the 20s, and they've even had a player crack 30 so far this season. So they're going to be a really tough challenge. And it's going to be another test for Houston how good that defense can be. Can they go to their press for the full game, and can that be enough to disrupt the Bulls? Yeah, this is obviously going to be the biggest challenge of the season for the Cougars. And, you know, if they can somehow, you know, win this game and – get it going both offensively and defensively. The next three games, you're playing against sub-500 teams in Tulsa, East Carolina, and Temple. And then you got the rematch against 5-1 and one UCF. And so basically, gonna, I'll go ahead. I'm yeah, what I was going to add on is just they are, they are steamrolling through the conference because 
of the five conference games they have played, four have they've won by double digits, and they're not particularly close. So they beat Tulsa by almost 30 points. The only game where they did not win by double digits was against Memphis, which was their first conference game. So it's going to be a tough task for the Cougars. But I said if they can keep it competitive and show that they, they are at least on the same playing field with the Bulls, that's going to be a long way to not only for confidence, but for the rest of the conference to show Houston's on the right path. And they, they're they a team to contend with, along with South Florida in this conference. Uh, one more thing I wanted to add, uh, we talked about uh, preseason predictions, and one of the players that has yet to get going really have a breakout game has been Layla Blair, so they can get her going. I think that's going to be go a long way in terms of their depth. It, they have, at this point, it looks like they have too many players trying to fit into the rotation and doesn't seem like they found a great rhythm yet offensively, um, which is something they have to figure out down the stretch. So I think this, this game in particular, it isn't more about winning per se. Obviously every team's going to say they, they go out to win, but I think it's more, it's going to be a test to see where they are with the best of the conference. Well, if you guys had to pick, who are you choosing, um, USF or Houston? What do you think is going to be some of the biggest challenges for Houston against USF in particular? I'll, I'll take that one first. Um, I think the biggest challenge is going to be trying to score enough points to keep up with the Bulls. Um, all season long, they have scored, they've cracked 60 points each game. They had the least amount of points they scored was 63. And in that game, they still ended up winning by 28 points. So I talked about how the Cruz have struggled offensively to find a rhythm. If they continue that trend, it's not going to be a, a particular close game for U of H. I think that's going to be the biggest key. And who I would have to pick for this game in particular, I have to go with USF. And I'm looking here for the men's. They're going to take on Tulane. Um, they're one and two in conference. I don't think those are going to – they are going to be a big threat to Houston. But any challenges you can kind of see for uh, Houston um, as they take on Tulane this upcoming weekend? I think it will be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, Tulane actually put up a little bit of a fight last year. And, yeah, they uh, were one of the most underrated um, teams in the American Athletic Conference last year. So I'm kind of surprised to kind of see them at the um, bottom of the at the bottom of the rankings. But again, it's still very early in the season. Yeah, Ron, Coach Ron Hunter has that team uh, turning around pretty quickly. They improved uh, about 11, 12 wins last year from the previous season because, of course, a season in 2018-2019 only had four wins. And then the next season, you know, they improved by 10-12 wins, finished with 14 wins. And uh, I see it being a little bit of a tough game in the first half. I kind of see a similar situation the last two games of U of H, but I hope they start out strong on offense because they have struggled offensively in the first half. But just like the last two games in the second half, they just turned on the switch. And once everybody gets going and Gorham starts rebounding, they really start the, what you call it, extend the lead and break away. Yeah, Justin, one final point to add on to Tulane. Uh, really their main player has been the transfer from Alabama and Jalen Forbes, who's a sophomore entering this season. And he's their leading scorer. He's averaging almost 16 points a game and also has nearly five rebounds a game. That's going to be the biggest challenge for the Cougars, kind of 
limiting him. Uh, I don't necessarily expect this game to be uh, a big challenge. I could, I could see them if they have one of their offensive struggles again, uh, this being a, a game where they have to come back from behind. But necessarily, uh, Jalen Forbes isn't, you know, on the level of Kendrick Davis for SMU or, you know, even the players from Wichita State, Dexter Davis and Tyson Etienne. I always butcher the last names, but uh, so I don't necessarily expect this to be, you know, an upset alert. But if they aren't hitting their shots, I could see this being an interesting game down the stretch. Well, I'm certainly excited to see how both games play out for the men's side as they take on Tulane. Tulane, um, they are one and two again in the conference and six and two overall. And the women's will take on the 18 out of 19 ranked USF uh, this Saturday, actually. So we'll be back. Um, Next week, hopefully, with some more updates on the University of Houston men's and women's basketball. And hopefully, sometime very soon, we can start to talk a little more about more Houston um, basketball uh, rather than just talking about University of Houston. But I'll leave that to Justin and Andy to make that decision. Well, we totally be down. We need a we need to start collabing with the Launchpad podcast and see they they'd be willing. We, we should switch. We we send like one or two of us go to their podcast and have one or two of them join us. Uh, that'll be an interesting idea. But um, real quickly before we go, how was you guys' uh, holidays? Your, uh, oh yeah, month? that's right. Like, is this yeah. the first episode for twenty twenty one? It is. It is the first episode and. Couldn't come at a crazier time in, in the country, but 2021 is off to a interesting start, to say the least. So let's go back to 2020. How did that end? How were your holidays? What's, what was your favorite food in the trade over the, either of the uh, two, two days, whether it was New Year's or on Christmas Day? What do you mean your favorite food? How do you answer that when all food is your favorite? Well, that, that is true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have any favorites. I mean, I do, but again, it's the holidays. So, you know, everything that's usually cooked on the holidays is kind of cooked not often. So then it makes you like enjoy it even more. And then you have an excuse to eat whatever you want because it's the holidays. Who's judging? For sure. I <laughs> I went a little overboard on the sweets. That's probably my go-to, like too many sweets. I ate a little bit about everything over the break. If you had like pies, even cakes, cheesecake, you, may, you name it. It comes to sweets. That's that's my go-to during the holidays. Yeah, I actually had a lasagna, and then right after I had some uh, couple pieces of brownies. Yeah, Christmas was great. Um, New Year's was spent inside so you know it's very different um considering the COVID-19 and all of the other things that's going on out here in the world everybody just stay safe um that's first and foremost uh, everyone stay safe including you and Justin um Andy guys stay safe out here and be smart for sure we can't wait hopefully uh things get better soon uh, but uh, I guess we'll leave it there. We'll leave it at that point. Hopefully 2021 is kind of trying to do a, a juke move on us and it turns around for the better. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you appreciate the consistent digital and podcast breakdowns, analysts, speculations, guest voices, and camaraderie of our team, 
please consider clicking the link in the description to check out one of our monthly Patreon subscription options. As always, thank you guys so much for listening, and we look forward to having you back next week on our next episode of Pod Slam Pajama, presented by Clutch City Control Room. <laughs>